You're listening to the Biblical Manhood and Womanhood series taught by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Talking again about biblical manhood and womanhood. And what I'd like to do this morning is I want to sort of go to back up before we review and talk a little bit and then go from there. We'll review from last week talking about the glory of women. All right? We live in a different world today. This statement will not be new to you. I'm sure you've heard it and you know it. How many have heard the statement, the Bible oppresses women? You've heard that before? All right? All right, good, good. Certainly heard that before. I've talked to people who believe that before. Um, I think we hear more and more of that now. And not only that, we also hear this, that not only does the Bible oppress women, but the Bible is oppressive in nature. I mean, I've heard people make statements as of late that um, Christianity is more of a deficit than a help to the world today. And we might just be better off without it. And I just want to say this morning, as we delve into this topic again, that we have got to be careful today. We live in a volatile world, don't we? I mean, lines are drawn, right? We have our opinions. We have people who parrot things that they've never studied out. They just go online, they find their guy or their girl, they download everything they say, and they never really pay attention to facts. They don't want to be confused with facts anymore. But we must search out truth. And so when we come to the Word of God, there's a reason that people talk about, well, the Bible's oppressive to women, because they've heard it from somewhere. And most times they've never actually studied the Bible to see what it says. Listen to this statement. I think it was Paul Coppin who said this, but he said, The cultural mores, or the customs and historical setting into which God spoke his revelation, must be distinguished from the revelation itself. Okay, let me say it again. The cultural mores, or customs, the historical setting into which God spoke his revelation, must be distinguished from the revelation itself. And what he's talking about there is, as we look at the word of God, God's book speaks to situations in culture that God does not condone or endorse. Okay? We go through the Old Testament and we find cases of child sacrifice. It's in there. Polygamy. It's in there. Abusive situations. They're in there. They are never condoned. They are never put as normal. God does not condone those things. But the revelation comes in this setting, and we've got to be careful how to distinguish that. Especially in the Old Testament. Right? In the Old Testament, we have a lot of case law. And case law says it doesn't assume that this is the ideal situation, but it gives you situations to deal with those instances, right? It begins with specific examples that don't present the best case scenario. Listen, humanity is depraved. It's depraved. Your heart's depraved. My heart's depraved. And left to ourselves, we would be criminals, all of us. Our bent is away from God. And so the Bible comes along, especially in the Old Testament, and gives these case laws. If a man is quarreling with another man, if he strikes him, this is what we're to do. It doesn't idealize the situation. It helps us to regulate that situation and to work our way through controlling those situations. So you do see in cultures of the Old Testament and New Testament systems of injustice. And God speaks that revelation to deal with that. Does that make sense? Or are you just completely saying, I have no idea what you're talking about? Does that make sense? Okay, Dan and Dan say that makes perfectly good sense. So I'm going to go with that then. And anyone say, I don't know what Dan and Dan are talking about, because I have no idea. But we'll read things in the Old Testament. For instance, about divorce, about polygamy, about 
selling someone into slavery. And if we're not careful, we think, well, there's the Bible again endorsing those things. Dan? I think that's actually an evidence of God's amazing grace that he could have said, like, humanity, you made a mess of yourselves, and you've got into things like slavery, and I'm just, I'm not even going to touch that, I'm going to have nothing to do with it, but he's so gracious that he's willing to step in and say, like, you made a mess of this, but now I'm going to give you at least some um, laws that will help govern how how to handle the mess. Amen. Because we're in it already. Right? We did this. He's just saying, since it exists, exactly. And I think if you approach it like that and you see the cases where you think, oh, that doesn't sound right, you can see where at least in the culture this is being regulated to give rights and help and protection, especially to those who suffer injustice. And so what happens is we have a world where someone says, oh, the Bible, it, it, you know, it oppresses women, the Christianity is oppressive, and people hear that and they parrot that and they never search out truth. And when you look at Scripture for what it is, you can see clearly that God is saying, no, wait a minute. Humanity, you are a mess. You thought you knew better without me. You've created this. And now as a nation, I'm going to give you laws to operate so we can protect those who are taken advantage of by your depravity. Paul? Well, I was just going to say with divorce, you know, God said he, he, you know, he hates divorce, but because of the hardness of our hearts. Absolutely. That's right. And it speaks exactly what Dan said, right? This is a situation. In the beginning, this is what it looked like. This is how it was. This was perfection. We have chosen to want God's job, to do it our own way, created a mess. The hardness of our hearts does this. You know, the older I get, the more I understand depravity. You know why? Because I see it in my own heart. Not only do I see it in your children, but I see it in my own heart. And, uh, and, right? And the hearts of my children. They're bent that way. And so God in his graciousness gives us these guidelines to, to at least protect and, and help those who are in these situations to flourish. Brother Dan? So what's the train of thought coming to something and saying this is right or wrong if you reject a divine law, right? So really, you're rejecting a divine law and they come to the Bible and establishing your preference and yeah, you just can't, you're borrowing the worldview of Christianity to say that Christianity has Absolutely. It's maddening at times, right? And that's to say, when you talk to our atheist friends, not to say, well, atheists are all you know, immoral and they want to eat babies and they want to... No one's saying that. But the truth is, what is your gauge for morality then? Right? Because you're coming and borrowing a Christian worldview to say your book is wrong, right? But you have to borrow our worldview of right and wrong and that there is a God who's given us laws, right? And so it's a good point. So, but we need to be aware of that because you're going to hear this and you're going to continue to hear this. You're going to hear it more as our world moves further and further away from truth. Carolyn? The Lord Jesus came to be our Savior because we're condemned already. That's right. We're in a mess already. And so I want you to understand that because, because listen, we hear this and the church hears this. We'll continue to hear this. But that's not the truth. As we look at the Word of God, you will see an exaltation of women the beauty of women, the power of women. And I want to continue that train of thought today. But before I get there, I just want to tackle this idea about how the Word of God oppresses women and we'd be better off without Christianity. And, and I want to argue that we would not be. Okay? I just We would not be. Listen to this. In the Bible, we have the first appeal in world literature to treat slaves as human beings for their own sake and not for the interest of of the master. The word of God is the first book in ancient literature to come along and say, treat a slave well 
because they're a human being, because you were slaves in Egypt. There is no other writing in ancient literature that would say that. They would say, treat your slave better because you want him to live longer to serve you more. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible gives worth and dignity to humanity. The truth is, we talk about human rights, right? And we should be for human rights. But, but human rights is, a, is not birthed out of atheism. Human rights is birthed out of the idea that men and women are created in the image of God, right? And that's what the Bible speaks to. That's where it comes from. Listen to this. In the Greco-Roman world, right, where Christianity was birthed, it was very common to take an infant, a female baby, and discard them on a heap and let them die because in their worldview, there was no value or worth, as much value or worth, to a female as a male. Okay? So that's the Greco-Roman world. They were exposed, and the church forbade that. The church said, no, we don't do that. As a matter of fact, the writings of, I think it's the 2nd or 3rd century, is it, is it the Didache or Didache? I always pronounce it wrong. Is there a better way to pronounce it? Didache. Didache, Didache, you say tomato, I say tomato. Let's just call the whole thing off. Okay. Um, but it was the early teaching of the church, right? They, they, and the church said, listen, believers don't do this. Whether it's a male or female baby, there's value and worth there. A matter of fact, it was the Christians pulling them off the heap piles and giving them life. You know what I don't get? I don't know why they thought of them less. Because if you want to have boys in the world, you've got to have women so I just don't get why they're so against. Hesse, you make a great point. It's a great point. I'm sure I do. You do. And we'll talk about that in a minute. That's the truth. But in their society, when it came to value, a son would take the name, a son could work, a son could do all those things and increase a family. So if you had a bunch of girls, it was problematic, right, in their mind. But you're exactly right. We'll talk about that. Hold that thought, sister, all right, because it's a good thought, right? I'm going to repeat that in just a few minutes, okay? But you're exactly right. In the Greco-Roman world, it it was law that a widow had to be married within two years. Because an unmarried woman had no value or worth, or little value or worth. Okay? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible gives value and worth to unmarried women, to widows, and gives them protection and help, and financial help. Right? So you can continue to parrot this idea that the Bible is against women, but the fact is that's counter, uh, it's counter case. It's not true with the facts. If you, if you want to move that up to, to maybe more recent history, when William Carey went to India in the 1800s, uh, he left in seventeen late 1700s. When he went there, it was common practice when an Indian man would die that his wife, who was living, would be per- put on his burn pile and burned alive. That was common practice, late 1700s, early 1800s. You don't change that? Not atheism. Not Hinduism. Christianity changed that. And it was the work of missionaries like Carrie who changed those things. And so all of this talk about how we'd be better off without Christianity, it's a farce. It's just you don't know the facts. Even, even maybe more modern, William Wilberforce, John Newton, right? Christian men who ended in the international slave trade. So when we say things or hear things about Christianity, how you know, it, it just puts the thumb on women and it keeps people from prospering. It's just not true. In, the, in colonial America, two-thirds of the abolition society were made up of Christian people, right? 
And so the world is not a better place without Christianity. I contend the world's a nightmare without Christianity. The, the ancient world, and the truth is, most of the world cares little about charity. Do you know when there's a disaster, it's the West, it's Western thought that goes to help, to give money, to give aid, to send supplies. That's not how the East thinks. There's a, an interesting Chinese proverb that says this, the tears of a stranger are only water. You get that? Tears of a stranger are only water. And what it means is, you're not me, you're not my people, I don't care. Your tears, it's just water to us. That's not Christianity. Christianity has a Salvation Army, hospitals, soup kitchens. We care for those. Even education, right? Education for the masses, right, came out of Christianity. And it came out of the Protestant Reformation. You know, the idea was that every plowboy could read the Word of God and know Jesus Christ. It was Christianity. And all but one of the first 123 colleges, at least in colonial America, were Christian institutions. So, so be careful. When we talk about things about Christianity, putting the thumb on women, we don't understand what we're talking about. And we have to change that perception the best that we can. So let's talk now. Any comments about that, Mr. Manning? I think uh, you know, uh, Roman Catholicism proclaimed to be Christian in the name of Christ, and they did terrible things. And the world will refer to Christianity through their history. Yes. Not the history of the true believer. Yep. And so that's where it's tainted. Yes. You know, and... It's happened in, in uh, when we did the study of uh, uh, Corinthians. Uh, Paul said this type of fornication isn't even uh, common among Gentiles. Right. You know, so, you know, it's, uh, we get a bad rap. Yes. Being compared to pumping everybody that says they're a Christian. Absolutely. And certainly the church is, is guilty in the past of doing things it should never have done. Right. But they're always outside of Christ's commands. Right. And we need to understand that. But you're right. Sometimes, and, and, I, and I think, to be honest with you, when it comes to the idea of how we treat women, the church has got a bad rap because the church in the past has treated women poorly. Right? So idea yeah, what it means to be a man is not biblical sometimes, and our thinking has to be corrected. And we've got to do that. So we talk about the world, how the Word of God views women, and I'll just quickly review from, from last week. We talked, first off, in the book of Genesis, right? The, the, the creative wisdom of God, chapter 1, Good, 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 very good. Chapter 2 is a, is a recap of, of the sixth day, and God says, good, 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 oh, wait a minute, not good. And the not good was, Adam was by himself. God creates a woman, and he says, hey, hey, very good. The, the, the climax of creative wisdom is a woman. It's, it's where we start in this book with good, good, ah, not so good, create a woman, very good. That should change the way we think. We use the book of Proverbs. Remember from last week, Proverbs 31, the acrostic, the chiasm, um, talking about uh, Hebrew wisdom, the climax of Hebrew wisdom. You want to be a successful man, you better find a good woman. You better find, or you're going to be a mess. A virtuous woman, who can find? And that's what he talked about. We said last week that men are socialized first by their parents, their mother, right? Secondly, a man is socialized by his wife. Are you really going to wear that? Right. Chew with your mouth closed. Right. Don't speak so loud. 
right? All those things that you probably have heard, right? So, the glory of women. Now we want to talk about Jesus Christ and his regard for women. And, and again, here, here's what I want you to see. As he deals with women, as he walks the face of this planet, he is in opposition many times to his contemporaries, to the culture that he found himself in. But he was not in opposition to the Word of God. From Genesis through Revelation, we see the glory of womanhood. So let's look together now at uh, Jesus' regard for women from the New Testament. Number one, we see it in his genealogy. Uh, We don't have to read this morning Matthew 1. I think you're familiar with it. But again, as, as Matthew starts out his gospel account, as he gives the genealogy of Christ, it's interesting, he puts five women in there. Five. And four of them have a past. It would have been easy to keep them out, but he doesn't. And so women are found in the genealogy of Christ. It's important. And and, and listen, in in those days, you would never do that. There wasn't a purpose to do it. There wasn't a reason because of the way they thought about women. And yet, Matthew, the first gospel of the New Testament, places women right smack, smack dab in the middle of Christ's genealogy. So before he's even born, there's the glory of women that's seen. And, and I think that sort of reiterates what, what Hesse said earlier, but we'll get back to it again. Without women, there are no men. Right? The, the, the vehicle for mankind is through a woman. Number two, Christ speaks of equality. Let's read these this morning. These are worth looking at. Uh, they're all worth looking at, but we'll take our time to get through some of these. Someone want to read Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6 this morning? Someone there, Matthew, Joanne. Then we'll look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 8 and 9, just a few verses away from there. Someone grab that. Bernie, thank you. And then finally under this one, we'll look at Matthew 5, verses 27 through 32. Someone want to grab that one, that portion of Scripture? Matthew 5, 27 through 32. Amy, thank you. All right, so look at here. How does Jesus regard women? He speaks of equality. Matthew 19, 3 through 6. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said to them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. All right, here, and this is what Paul mentioned earlier. Jesus Christ goes back to the beginning, before the mess, before the fall. This was God's plan. Male and female created equally in the image of God. Good. Second, equality in the view of divorce. Matthew 19, verses 8 and 9. Jesus replied, Most permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital faithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So here Jesus says, wait a minute. And, and listen, during his days, right, it was common that if a, you could divorce your wife easily. It was easy. It was like no-fault divorce, right? So if she burned the toast, it's not an exaggeration, and you were, it, it displeased you, you had a right then to divorce your wife for burnt toast, right? And Jesus is speaking and saying, wait a minute, you've got this all wrong. And, and in those days, if a woman was divorced without the care, there wasn't a social network to catch her, she could be in real trouble. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not what we do. Not at all. From the beginning, God's view is that women are created equal with men, and, and they're not to be left. They're one flesh. 
And then equality in the view of lust. This is interesting. Matthew 5, 27 through 32. Protection again for women, but I want you to notice this this lust in your heart. Women were not to be objectified. Right? We live in a culture, listen to me, and I'm surprised that feminists don't see this in our world today. Women are strictly objectified. We can't sell anything today without a woman in, in clothing that's not proper. We can't. And so we use them to sell things and objectify. And Jesus says, No, wait a minute. If you as a man are lusting after this woman in your heart, you've committed adultery, right? There's no room for this with Christ because women are not to be objectified. They're daughters of God. And so he makes it very clear. Listen, this is unacceptable behavior. And in our world today, it's not. Pornography is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. And women are the victims of it. And Jesus says, no, that's not right. It's not right, right? And, and, and look at what he says. To deal with this sin, it's radical, man. It's radical. Hey, gouge your eye out. Cut your hand off. He's saying literally do that? No, but he's saying you better radically deal with this because that's not the purpose of womanhood. Paul? You know, Proverbs turns that on its head, too, because the, the, the woman that goes out turns you know, the man into a loaf of bread, the Bible says. Yes. So, so it makes us, so she becomes less... And a man becomes just a loaf of bread. That's right. And it's just down, down, down. What a great thought that is, Paul. That when we treat women like that, it affects us. We become less of the men that God has created us to be, too. Okay, God bless you for being here.